Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, for all that he suffered for us. We pray that you will help us to be sensitive to the word of your Spirit as we continue in worship, and we ask this through Christ. Amen. Please be seated. If you ask the question, what do people think about when you say the word prayer? You'll probably get a variety of responses. Some people would say prayer is adoration. Others would say it's thanksgiving. Others say praise. Others might say it is intercession. It is supplication, asking for God in our lives. For some, the most profound sense of prayer is meditation. There is the idea of contemplative prayer. There are all kinds of of ways in which we think about prayer. I read about a little girl who was on her way to church one Sunday, and she was afraid she was going to be late, and so she was running down the sidewalk. And the whole time she was running, she was praying, God, please don't let me be late. God, please don't let me be late. And as she ran and prayed, she, she didn't notice the curb, and she tripped over it and fell. Got her clothes all dirty, tore her dress. She got up, dusted herself off, and took off running again. And again, as she ran, she prayed, God, please don't let me be late. And then she added, and God, please don't push me either. (laughs) As I read that story, I have to admit, it sort of convicted me and inspired me at the same time. It convicted me in the sense that this little girl just sees God in life. But it also inspired me in the sense that she had... This, we might say it's naivete, of being honest with God. Whatever was in her heart, she just said it to God. Because she saw God as a person that she could be honest with. And as we get older physically and as we mature spiritually, there is something in us that finds it difficult to be honest Honest with God. Honest in our prayers. But not Jesus. This picture we get of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane just probably an hour or so before he is arrested, tortured, executed. We, we see Jesus praying. And as, this, as everything is coming to its conclusion... As everything that is he's going to experience is squeezing in upon him, his recourse is to pray. And verse 42 tells us that his prayer is, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Father, if you are willing, is it possible to find another way to accomplish what you and I both know needs to happen? Now, that's not unwillingness. That's just honesty. Jesus is honest with the Father. He has no problem being honest with the Father. And Jesus pours out his heart in this prayer. Luke says that that he is praying so hard. He's in such agony that his sweat is like drops of blood. 
I, I suspect that the agony of prayer and the struggle in his prayer is having some understanding of what is awaiting him physically. Torture and death. But I don't think it's limited to that. And in fact, I don't even think that's the primary thing. I think it's more the sense of knowing that when he hangs on the cross, he's going to take upon himself the sins of the world. And when he does that, he's going to take upon himself, he's going to feel the guilt and the shame and the remorse that he's never felt before. I think that's why he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I don't think it's because God turned his back on him that God actually forsook him because God doesn't do that. But I think he felt that way. Just like you and I do when we sin and the next moment we are filled with guilt and shame and our response to God is he's rejecting me. He, there's no way he could love me. There's no way he could care about me anymore. He, he, he's done with me. And there's this ache in our souls because we've separated ourselves from God. And we're sure he's rejecting us. And Jesus is in agony of soul about what is yet to come. And he's honest about it. And the, this prayer of honesty that we find in Jesus is a call to us about being honest in our prayers. There is something about, about speaking a prayer about acknowledging the truth of the struggle, whatever we're facing, that helps us. That's why the first step of every 12-step program is acknowledging I have a need. Hi, I'm so-and-so, I'm an alcoholic. I'm so-and-so, I'm addicted to gambling. I'm so-and-so, I, 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 I'm addicted to drugs. You never go anywhere until that first moment of acknowledging and being honest. And our prayers will remain stuck, no matter what the struggle may be, until we come to the point of being honest. Something about speaking the words has power. How do, so why do we struggle so much to be honest with God? He already knows our hearts. He already knows everything that's going on. What's our struggle? I think part of it is because when we, when we acknowledge the struggle, we're acknowledging that it's real. And something in the back of our minds wants to believe that if we don't acknowledge it, it's not real. And if we acknowledge it, it has to be dealt with. And probably God is going to call us to do something about it. And we'd rather not. The most natural thing as human beings to do in struggle is not to be honest with God. It's to run and hide from God. We see it in Adam and Eve in the garden. They sin. God shows up. They run and hide. Because they believe that God is now going to reject them. Now we do that. We run and hide because we share with other people some intimate details of our lives, some of our struggles. And sometimes they respond the way we hope they will, and sometimes they don't. Sometimes people reject us, and they run away from us, and they say, whoa, that's too big for me. And the evil one whispers in our ears, you know, that's exactly what God's going to do. If you're honest with God, you're done. 
He's going to reject you. He's going to turn from you. You're done. When the reality is exactly the opposite. Jesus gets through because he's honest. You look at this image in the garden. The disciples sleep. And it says because they're overwhelmed with sorrow. I don't know exactly what that means. So they must have some inkling of what's going to happen. But they don't seem to be taking what's about to happen as seriously as Jesus is. Just a few, maybe 30 minutes before, Peter has said to Jesus, I'll go to death for you. And Jesus says, Peter, before tomorrow morning, you're going to deny me three times. And I can just see Peter going, what? No way. That's not a struggle for me. I don't have any problem. I'll be fine. There's no acknowledgement of the honest struggle that he's about to face in the disciples. And they run away and hide. Whereas Jesus faces it head on, acknowledges the reality, and he's victorious. But honest prayer isn't the end. Our honest prayers lead us to surrendered prayer. Because Jesus doesn't just pray, Father, if it's possible, could this cup be passed from me? He then says, but not my will, yours be done. There is a surrendering to his prayer, to this struggle, to his life. And praying honestly with God leads us then to God's call to surrender, whatever it is we're wrestling with, just as Jesus does. We struggle to do that. Sometimes we can take the step of being honest, but we don't want to take the step of surrender. Or some call it the prayer of relinquishment. Where we, and it's in this prayer of relinquishment, of surrender, is not giving up, throwing up our hands and saying, I quit. It's giving to. It's giving to God. It's acknowledging the struggle honestly, and then saying, God, I want to give this to you. I'm tired of fighting it. Because the alternative of giving it to God is that we can handle it all by ourselves on our own. And we are all witnesses of the fact that that's simply not going to happen. And so Jesus says, Father, I give it to you. I surrender it. I relinquish it. And does that mean when Jesus does that, that now everything becomes beautiful, all the problems fade away? God says, well, you know what, let's change this and I don't want you to go through all that. No, he still goes through all of it. And often you and I will as well. The willingness to surrender, to relinquish the struggles that we face doesn't eliminate the struggle. But in some ways, what God does with that is is beside the point because we are simply bringing God into it and we're giving it to him. And we're saying, God, I trust you. And that is just as God can take this relinquishment of Christ and yes, it leads him to death, but it also leads him to life. So God takes our prayers of relinquishment and may lead us into struggles and difficulties and pain and heartache, but on the other side is life. And joy and peace. And how do we know that? Because we are praying to our loving Heavenly Father. It's not a coincidence that in this moment of agony, this moment of struggle, Jesus says, Father. When I think of that prayer of Jesus, I'm reminded of what Luke writes 
of Jesus when in, in chapter 11 as he's teaching his disciples to pray. And he says, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? We aren't surrendering to someone about whom we're not sure how they feel about us. We are surrendering to our loving Heavenly Father. We are surrendering to Christ who goes to the cross for us. We are surrendering to to the one who loves us with an everlasting love, who is for us every moment and whose desire is what is best for us. We have a hard time relinquishing because we're stuck in mediocrity. And we think, that's good enough. Where I am, it's good. It'll work. When all the while God is saying, I have so much more for you. I have so much further I want to take you. So much more I want to do in your life. And yes, there'll be some hard roads as you go through it. But the end of it is awesome. Richard Foster says the struggle of the struggle of relinquishment is change for us. It's how change comes about, but he says it's not the kind of change that a tornado makes. It's the kind of change that you find with a grain of sand in an oyster shell. It's that kind of change. And it doesn't happen overnight. More than likely, we will continue to need to pray the prayer of relinquishment. We'd like to think we pray it once, we're done, we move on. That's just not how life works. With Jesus, the other, Matthew and Mark tell us that when Jesus goes to the garden and he kneels to pray, Father, if this cup pass from me, may it be possible, but not my will, yours be done. And then he gets up and he goes back to the disciples and he wakes them up. And he goes back and he prays the prayer again. And he gets up and he goes back to the disciples, wakes them up again, goes back to pray. Three times he offers this prayer. And, and I think that's symbolic of the whole hour or so that he prays. This is his prayer. Over and over and over again. And I don't think this is the first time he's prayed it. I think he's been praying this prayer for a long time. Knowing what is to come. Knowing all that he has sacrificed. The times when he's been tempted by the evil one. That his prayer is continually honest and surrender. Relinquishment. And if Jesus prays for this multiple times, how much more do we need to pray multiple times? Just keep giving it to God. Just keep relinquishing it. It may be something we do every morning. We we wake up and say, God, I'm giving this to you again. And every night before we go to bed, we say, God, I'm giving this to you again. And every time we do that, it is an act of trust. It is an act of surrender. It is putting us in a place where God can do beautiful things in our lives. In his book, simply titled Prayer, Richard Foster tells a story about a friend of his who 
for quite some time had been badgering him about coming to this town far away from where he lived to do a seminar on the prayer of inner healing. He kept putting her off. He, you know, first of all, he didn't want to make this trip. And second, he knew there were people in her town who could do this as well or better than he could. But she kept hounding him about it. And they were at a conference one time and she again brought this up and he said, all right, here's what we're going to do. You go home and you pray about this. Talk to God, but don't talk to anyone else. And if six people on their own approach you about doing this, then I'll come and do it. And he said, now, mind you, I wasn't trying to listen to God. I was just trying to get out of going to the speaking engagement. And within a week, she called him and said, Richard, I haven't said a word to anyone except to God. I've already had 12 people who've come to me and asked if you'd come and do the seminar. I said, I was stuck. I had to go. So he went. It was this woman and 15 social workers. And they met at her home. The first night, they were sitting in a circle. And a gentleman in the group said to them, Listen, I want you guys to go easy on me. I'm not one of you. It was his way of saying, I'm not a believer. I'm not a Christian. And they took that in a wonderful spirit of grace. And they were very kind and gentle with him. And, and Foster said that the weekend together, was the spirit was so present. It was, it was so clear. He said, so much so that by Sunday afternoon, the same gentleman said to the group, would you pray for me that I would know Jesus the way you know Jesus? And he said, it was one of those moments where they didn't quite know what to do because it's, it just felt like the normal responses weren't adequate. And so they just sat in silence for a few moments. And then a young man got up from his seat and walked over to this gentleman and put his hands on his shoulders and he prayed for him. And Foster said, it was a prayer I will never forget. And said he, In fact, he said, I, I felt like taking my shoes off. It, it, it seemed like we were on holy ground. And the funny thing is, he, he prayed a television commercial. There was a commercial on television at that time for Nest Tea. And, and he would show people out in the sweltering heat of summer, sweat pouring off of them. And they would pick up a glass of tea and tip it back to drink. And as they did, they would fall backwards into a swimming pool and say, ah, as they splashed into the water. And this young man with his hands on the shoulders of this gentleman prayed that he would simply fall back into the arms of Jesus. And experience that sense of awe. And the man began to weep and sob. And he said, it was, it was, one, of, it was one of those grace-filled moments as he opened his heart to Christ. And Foster says... I think that's a great image of the prayer of relinquishment. That we simply are falling back into the arms of Jesus. Falling back into the arms of the one who loves us. Because we can trust him. And he's good and he's for us. And I'm convinced that the most profound place to do that is in the church. 
Now, your antenna may come up right away because maybe you're thinking, the church? Church is a place of judgment. Church is not a place where we can be honest. We all wear masks in church. We all put up facades in church. We don't, we don't do that kind of thing in church. This is, this is not the way I think of church. But it's supposed to be. This God's plan for the church is that it is the one place where we find forgiveness and acceptance and love and grace and truth and mercy. This is the one place. And that's why when we were putting together our vision statement a few years ago, and we thought and we prayed and thought about if the Holy Spirit really shaped us into the church that he wants us to be, if we, if we were the church that was so filled with the Spirit that we were really in his image, what would that look like? And, and, and we wrote down these, some of these things, that we would acknowledge our personal and corporate brokenness. That we'd be honest. That we would affirm our strong dependence on each other. That we need each other. That we would embrace and love all others. That we live together in ongoing forgiveness as God has forgiven us. That we would practice gracious discernment and mutual confession and love for our enemies. That we'd be the church. That we would be a spiritual hospital. And a hospital is a place for people who have needs. Who for somehow are acknowledging the need and saying, I need help. And that's the church. That's what the church is, is supposed to be. This place where we come and say, I have needs. And, and I need help to surrender to Christ. And so this morning... We're going to give opportunity to do that. Similar to what we did about a month ago. The elders and the pastors are going to come to the altar. And we're going to invite those of you who would like to come and give us the privilege of praying for you. Praying with you. It doesn't matter what the situation may be. You may have maybe something about your future that you're wrestling with God and you're finding it hard to really give it up and, and, and you need someone that would help you to have someone pray for you. It might be about a relationship. It may be a struggle in your heart. It might be your life surrendered. Maybe you're, you're wrestling with something related to an illness or pain or, or grief or loss and maybe even you came and, and we prayed for you a month ago and you want to come again, please do. Whatever it may be, we invite you to come. And we invite you to be as, to say as much or as little as you want. I know this is a little bit, can be a little bit of an intimidating situation, but God knows, just be honest with him. But we want to have, we want to, to give the privilege, offer the privilege of praying for you, praying with you. And so as the elders and the pastors come, if you would like for us to pray for you, please come.
Father, we thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you for inviting us to pray boldly and honestly and for giving us courage to relinquish all to you. We do want to pray your grace upon those who are struggling today with grief or illness, with pain and trouble. Pray you'd comfort every one who has need, every aching heart, every burdened soul. Heal all of our diseases through the grace and power of who you are. We pray today for all in West Africa who are being affected by the Ebola virus. Bring an end to the suffering and infection, particularly among people who have already endured so much hardship in the last few years. We pray for Alan and Sherry and their boys in the transition to the States. We pray that their time here would restore them and as they reconnect with family and friends that you would use this to help them. Father, open our eyes to your presence with us. Give us grace to continue to trust you as we surrender to you. We ask all of this through the mercy of Christ who goes to the cross for us and who leaves us the model for prayer which we now pray together. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.